Thank you for joining me, Bertie Brits, in today's broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. Today's broadcast is a live broadcast, and I just believe that as we share this word of grace, that your life will just be impacted again by the unconditional love of God. You know, every time I read this message of grace in the Bible, it just brings new life. You know, let me put it this way, the life that's in me is confirmed, and that brings excitement and joy. And the wonderful thing that I've seen about the message of grace is that um, every time you read it, it just brings that and manifests that original joy that we received the first time we heard the gospel of grace, the, the true gospel. Um, it brings the true joy, the first original joy that was in the heart of God when He made man, and when He, when he created Adam and Eve and He said that it was good. Hallelujah. That is the joy that's in the heart of God. That's the joy that we receive and would we experience the moment we hear this gospel of grace. So every time we hear it, it brings that joy. Amen. Now, I want to just welcome all our first-time viewers of Dynamic Web Church. Maybe you've never watched this. This is your very first time. I want you just to open your heart, relax, know this one thing for sure. You're going to only hear the message of grace. We're not going to deviate from the message of what God has done for you. So uh, maybe you've been watching us for a while and you think, when are we going to start to lay down some laws and, and rules and guidelines and those type of things? Um, yeah, we're never going to do that. We're going to continue with this message of what Jesus Christ has done on behalf of man. For that is the true gospel. That is the message that produces the original joy of God. That's the message that produces the original righteousness, um, the righteousness of God in the lives of people. Amen. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to minister to you guys this morning. Today we're also going to have communion. So, um, get your stuff ready. Uh, get the, the elements, the, the bread and the wine. We're going to have communion today after the worship. We're going to share the word, share a short word in the communion and have communion together. I mean, I'm very excited about that. Um, I would like to read a word here that's really going to uh, bless you. Oh yeah, I just want to say this. Uh, somebody wrote to us and said that they got a link to our website on Joseph Prince's website. Now, that is awesome. Now, I haven't seen the link. Um, I just received the email. So, that's awesome to think that he would uh, link us to his website. And that is awesome. That is good. That is the goodness of God. It just shows that we minister the same gospel, the same message of grace. Amen. Now, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 3. And as an introduction before the worship, I would like to just read this. And this just produces the joy of God in our lives. And when we worship, we worship from a perspective of what God has done. Remember this one thing. Worship is not something that you must work up to get God to smile over your life because you're now worshipping Him. We have mistaken the word worship for the word singing or music. The Bible word for worship literally means to be a disciple of somebody, to be a servant of somebody, to be a follower, a worshipper. Uh, you get a, a people that are worshippers of um, creation. You know, that doesn't mean they sing to creation all the time. It just means that they believe in it. So, if we are the worshippers of God, it's got, I don't want to say nothing, but very little 
to do with music and dance and, and, and all of those things. But uh, although music and dance is a wonderful expression in which we can show our worship towards God, it is a way in which we, or things you do because you are already a worshipper of God. So we are worshippers of God in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to worship God anyway. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 4 to the woman that was um, at the well, Jesus said to her, The true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for He seeks people to worship Him in such a way. Because people were worshipping God in other ways. They weren't worshipping the Father in spirit, and in truth, they were worship, worshiping Him in uh, works and the law. And uh, that's not spirit and truth. The only spirit message that we have in the Bible is the message of God indwells you. His spirit indwells you. His spirit made you righteous by the blood of Jesus. God's righteousness came and indwelled you. And from that truth and that reality and that foundation, we start to just serve God. And that servant of God means um, allowing God allowing God to be who He is in our lives. It means to be a recipient of what He has done. If you're a true worshipper of the message of grace, if you're a true worshipper of Jesus Christ, now, and, and I want to say this the way Joseph Prince says this, grace is not just something, it's a person. Amen. It is also a person. So if you're a worshipper of Jesus, a worshipper of grace, and you really want to be pleasing to God, believe all that He has said about you. Believe that you've been made the righteousness of God. Believe that you've been made holy, that you've been set apart unto God, that um, He indwells you, that He finds no fault in you, that He's made you blameless without reproach, even until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, to confirm us even until that day. Believe those type of things. I mean, then you are really worshipping God. Worshipping God is saying, well, I will always have because Jesus will always have. Worshipping God is saying um, uh, th- that I will always be sinless before the Father because I am in a sinless Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that is just such good news. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. It says here, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. You can just jot this down if, if you want to. Um, if you've got the uh, e-sword open on your computer, just type it in there quickly. I advise you, that is a very good way of also studying it. Because if I quote a scripture, you don't have the first page in the Bible, page around you. Just type it in quickly. And uh, you write there. And if I say the Greek means this or this means this, you can just check there for yourself. Hallelujah. Well, uh, Romans 3.21 But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Now say, without the law. The righteousness of God. Now the word righteousness means to be as one ought to be. Now, if you are God and you must be holy, and you must be as you ought to be. What standard of holiness do you think is there? 
It is the highest standard of holiness. What obedience to love, what obedience to being good, what obedience to forgiveness, these things should there be for God to be as He ought to be. It is the highest, far above what we can ever think or pray, righteousness. This is what it says. It says here, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the law and the prophets speaks about this. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, so many times people read the scripture and just twist the thing. And because it says being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning, oh yeah, you see, you must still obey the law and the prophets. That's not what it means. It just says that the law and the prophets also speaks of that. It says that that type of righteousness, the, the, the righteousness that the, I mean, the law and the prophets prophesied and spoke about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what should happen. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by, by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Yes, isn't this just so, so awesome? What he, what he says here, he says that there's a righteousness that is revealed uh, uh, through faith without the law. Then he goes and he says, for all have sinned. It is for everybody, for all have sinned. What qualifies you for the righteousness of God as a gift free from the law? The fact that you have sinned. That's what qualifies you. In other words, or what puts you in a place where you can come uh, where you can make a demand on the righteousness of God. If you have sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God, you are in a place where you can say, I um, call upon the name of Jesus to receive His righteousness for free, as a gift. So, His blood qualified you to receive it. But you first had to be a sinner for Jesus, in order for Jesus to die for you. So the fact that you have sinned, if you've got any sin in your life whatsoever, I want to tell you the only way provided by God for you to be righteous is free from the law. It is the righteousness of God as a gift through faith and upon all that believes. Amen. It's for all, but upon all that believe. Let's read that. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. So, um, it then says, for there is no difference. So, what he was saying actually was, this was to everybody. It was not just to the Jew, it was to everybody. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 23, For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. So what he was saying there is, that this righteousness, this, this gift of righteousness, which is not just the righteousness of the law, which is not just to be as you ought to be according to the law of Moses, 
but it is to be as you ought to be according to the very character, nature, eternity, uh, uh, eternal life, being of God. The righteousness that we've received from Jesus is not just a righteousness that is in line with the law of Moses. It's a much higher righteousness. For the law might say, you know, you shall not do this or that, but Jesus says something much higher. So, um, yeah, that's really awesome. So, we've been made the righteousness of God. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ. Unto who? Unto all. And upon whom is it? Upon all that believe. So, this righteousness is unto all, but upon all that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So I want to tell you that you've been justified freely by the grace of God. That's unto you. That has already happened. The moment you believe it, that is upon you. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit will come upon us. In other words, the Holy Spirit has come towards all of us. For all of us. And, um, but the moment we believe, He comes upon us. Amen. Whom God has set, verse 25, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation, this is Jesus, or the sacrifice, through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now, chapter 4, verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness, without work, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So I want to tell you that it's not a cursed doctrine to say that righteousness is given to you free from your works. To say that you are righteous not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done. That is a blessed doctrine. It's blessed. It says here, even as David declared, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. So the message of grace that says, and what is the grace of God? What's the influence of God? The influence that Jesus Christ has upon man is that God does not impute our trespasses against us, but it was against Jesus, upon Jesus. He carried, it's not imputed upon us, and we've received the righteousness of God. Now, how long does this righteousness last? And um, this is the last thing I'm going to say before we get into the worship. Um, it's very easy. I want to ask you this. And you, want to, you, want to, you might ask, how does my sin influence my righteousness? I want to ask you this. How does your sin influence the righteousness of Jesus where He is seated at the right hand of the Father? It's got no influence on Jesus. I mean, if I lie today, does that make Jesus unrighteous? He doesn't. Now, we have been given the righteousness of God as a gift. Hallelujah. Our works cannot influence the righteousness of God. That means if, if we can sin and our sin makes the, takes away God's righteousness in Jesus Christ, then we can say that our sin makes us unrighteous. But our righteousness is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God which is accessed through faith. Amen. And can your holy works make God more holy? 
No ways. That also means that your good works cannot make you more holy before God. It cannot make you more righteous. In the same way, your evil works cannot make you more unrighteous. For your righteousness is not of the law, but it's of God. It's given of God. It's given from the most stable, unmovable source there is, which is God. And He decided in His own wisdom to choose you as the object of His love through, uh, on which He will pour out His righteousness as a free gift. It's unto all. It's unto every sinner. Jesus Christ took away the sin of the whole world. The whole world's sin is taken away in Jesus Christ. Righteousness came unto everyone, but it's upon everyone that believes. Hallelujah. That's why we preach the gospel, that people can believe this truth. Amen. So we don't preach repentance of sins. No, you must just repent of your sin. You must just repent of your sin all the time. That's not what we preach. What we preach is repentance of belief. In other words, repent of what you believed about God. Change your mind about what, what you believed about God so that you can believe the truth, so that you can believe that you've been made the righteousness of God, so that the righteousness of God can come upon you, and once that rests upon you, it brings a change of nature, a change of being, a change of many things, and therefore out of that can flow good works. Hallelujah. Now we're going to go over to worship, because that is more than enough reason to just sing songs to God. I want to just, maybe I must just get my vocabulary correct here. We're not going to go over to worship, we're going to go over to singing some songs. Because we've been worshipping God all the time now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. The fact that you just sit there to listen to this is already worship to God. Amen. So we're going to go over seeing some songs that just declares this righteousness of God. Just enjoy that worship. Well, isn't that awesome to just know that God is a God that loves us and cares for us. You know, in the introduction part of this service, I mentioned and said that um, our righteousness is not of ourselves but it's of God, and that our works cannot influence the righteousness of God. I also said that even if we live a, a life that's wrong, it cannot make Jesus unrighteous. If we obey, it doesn't make Jesus more righteous. The righteousness of God is the most stable thing that there is in the universe. It is like the love of God. It is who God is. God's righteousness, or God being as He ought to be, his righteousness has been given to us. So our righteousness is the righteousness of God. And that will bring, the moment we get that understanding and that revelation, that will bring a true stability and a true um, understanding of God's love. When we receive that, it will come to our lives. We will have stable joy, stable peace, stable righteousness, stability in our relationships. That is what will bring, what it will bring. Amen. And also mentioned that um, when, we, when we start to believe the righteousness of God and the message of grace, it brings the original joy that God made man with into our lives. When God made man, He made him righteous. Um, when He made Adam, He said, everything He's made is good. And then He rested. He didn't rest because He was tired. He rested because there was nothing that could be added to what he's done. It was a perfect work. Hallelujah. So, um, when God rested, he said, well, there's nothing more to do. This is perfect. It's righteous. It's good. And there was peace in the heart of God. And that's exactly what we will experience when we receive the righteousness of God as a gift. Hallelujah. Now, um, 
you must just get this into your mind, meditate upon this, have peace in your heart about this, that you cannot influence God's righteousness. He is righteous. You might bring a bad name to the church by having a a, a wrong way of living, but you must know that your way of life, not the good you do, the bad you do, nothing can influence the righteousness of God. For it has been sealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's good news. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Last Sunday I spoke on 1 Corinthians. And there's some other stuff that I want to just um, minister on today. We're first just going to look at verse 2 again. It says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, that's the same thing again as with righteousness. We've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called saints with all them that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So what he's saying here is that the Lord or the God of the Jews is also the God of all the people. And whosoever call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ has been sanctified in Jesus Christ. So your sanctification is not measured by what you do. Your sanctification is in Christ Jesus. It's not according to your system of rules. Then it goes to verse 3. It says, God, um, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, if we look at Romans chapter 3 and 4, grace speaks of, it says, this is the grace of God, that our sins is not imputed unto us. So what he says here is, he says, um, the message or the attitude that says your sins are not imputed unto you. Jesus obeyed on your behalf. He says, unto you. So, God's attitude towards us is a gracious attitude. It's an attitude that continually says, non-stop it says, I will not impute your trespasses against you. I will not impute your trespasses against you. And the way God says that I will not impute your trespasses against you was by taking our trespasses upon Jesus and then He took away the thing that could cause us to trespass, which is the law. So it was not just, well, you are continuing to do something wrong and I see your sin all the time, but I choose not to keep it against you. God's system of not imputing trespasses against us is more powerful than just the emotion that's in the heart of God to forgive you. It is concrete, it is established in the work of Jesus on our behalf. The way, uh, the reason why God says, I don't impute your trespasses against you, is because there was something legally done to that trespass. It has been carried in the body of Jesus Christ, and then to ensure that you cannot trespass again, He took away the law. Amen. So we are not standing before God in a place where we can trespass. The, the only, only way you can trespass is by re-implementing the law and looking at the law and then find yourself as a transgressor of that law. But if you say, my God, I don't live by the law. I live by the uh, nature of God that indwells me, that gives me that stability, that gives me that life and that righteousness so that all that is good that I do comes out of the being of God and not laws and rules and regulations. My friend, you are seen as the righteousness of God for His seed remains in you. Amen. That is the the goodness of God. That is the sanctification 
through which we've been sanctified, and that is the message of grace. And every time you read the Bible, most of the, um, the letters Paul wrote uh, starts off this way. It says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Hallelujah. So God does not stop to say, Listen, I want to just refresh your mind about this. I want your mind to, to be flooded with this. I just want you to know this is the platform um, from which I, or the, the platform on which I relate to you, and that is grace. Not imputing your trespasses because he took the law out of the way and he carried your transgressions in his body. Man, isn't that awesome? And he says, Grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. It, you can even go and read Second uh, Peter chapter 1 it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So God says more and more and more of this. So we can't come as the body of Christ to a place where we say, well, we're going to now be saturated or we're going to come to the place where we say, well, we've, we've had enough of this message that says, um, Jesus obeyed on my behalf, Jesus died on my behalf, He was resurrected on my behalf. Well, I've had enough of that now. Let's move on to deeper stuff. Anything you want to move on to um, from this message of grace you're going shallower. Because that is the depths of God. That is what man could not even think of. The Bible says, what a man couldn't even think of, what never came up in the mind of man, God has prepared for those that love Him, which is righteousness as a gift. Righteousness as a free gift by the obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf, which is peace by Jesus when Jesus was born, the, the heavenly host said, Peace on earth, good world towards man. Peace on earth, prosperity. The, the, the blessing of God upon man as if he has never sinned. To have a restoration between God and man. Peace. No, uh, uh, no, nothing. You know, when there's peace between you and somebody, there's not something that you want to quarrel about. It also speaks of harmony. Peace also speaks of the, uh, to be uh, in harmony with something. To, um, to be on the same frequency as somebody else. So we are at the same frequency as God. Because of Jesus Christ. We are on the same wavelength. Amen. That is what God has established for us in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, uh, what man lost in the beginning was the glory of God. Man, when he sinned, when Adam sinned, he lost the glory of God. And Jesus Christ came and He redeemed that glory again. And gave it unto us. Remember, you are valuable to God. All of the world is valuable to God. Because He came and said, what shall I give to man to save man? And because we were originally made in the image of God, and that we are godly, that's how God made us. When, we, when man lost the glory and got lost, the only thing that could get man back was God Himself. The only price that is good enough to pay for our redemption was God Himself. Amen. And that is why, you know, people need to know that. You know, and I, um, I realize what draws people Closer to the gospel is a realization they are valuable just the way they are right now, even without receiving Jesus as their Savior. They've got value. Like I said so many times, if my car gets stolen, 
the value of the car is not less all of a sudden. It's the same value. If my car gets stolen, um, the insurance company pay out the full amount of the value of that car. Now that car might be somewhere, somebody's riding it, driving it, might have got some scratches, whatever, doesn't matter. The value is still the same. The value is not determined, uh, the value of a car is not determined by in whose, whose possession it is. It's determined by the car. In the same way, our value is determined by God. The fact that somebody's lost and hasn't received Jesus doesn't mean that he's not valuable to God. We've got value, and that value was determined by what God was willing to pay for us. Amen. And if we can start to believe that we are valuable, we're not the scum of the earth. You know, nature, uh, or, or, or let me put it this way, I've, I've seen it, I don't know where I've, I've heard of this, maybe on television somewhere, but the natural thing in life that we see now is that people start to make the human race the scum of the earth and animals and plants become the, the more important thing on this planet. And if it was just not for man, then this whole planet would have been this wonderful place. You know, and man is actually the problem on this planet. Now, that is not the truth. We are the crown of God's creation. And we've been recreated in Jesus Christ. We ha- he has redeemed the, the glory of God. He's given us glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, and I want to just say this. You must know one thing. that the, Satan is not the father of anything but lies. He cannot give birth to people. Satan cannot give birth to people. If somebody is born, he's not a child of the devil. The context in, 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 uh, um, in, in Matthew 23, where Jesus said, you are of your father, Satan, uh, means that the life that they live was born out of the law. The person that manifested was born out of the law. And then, therefore, he says, you are born of Satan. But you as a person, I want to tell you this, that your, your, your um, God gave you life. God gives you life in your lungs. And you are valuable to God. And I want to tell you, um, it's like the one person said, uh, <laughs> I'm a bit off the point here in Corinthians, but I want to just mention this. Is he said that, you know, uh, they, they, the, the lady phoned and said, please come to my house because I want you to pray, Pastor, for my son doesn't want to get saved, doesn't want to uh, receive Jesus. So this pastor, he went, uh, I think I heard this on television, he went to this house and then he said, well, he saw this painting against the wall there and the painting just started to bother him. And he said to the lady, where did you get that painting? She says, no, uh, there was like a lottery type of thing at school and they, they did that and she won the painting. They cost lots for it. And <laughs> so the guy says, yeah, you know, God's revealing to me that is the thing that keeps your son away from being saved. Now, can you believe that? That God would say, listen, man, I've given my son that somebody can be saved. But because of the sin of the parent, this son is already, I mean, out of the house. He lives his own life. But because of the sin of the parent, I'm not going to save him. And my, vo- my word is stopped because of a painting. And there was nothing wrong with the painting. It was just the way they got the painting. So God said, well, you know, I love man so much that I would give my son, but I'll see that somebody goes to hell because somebody else has got a wrong painting. 
Man, that is not the love of God. That is not putting value upon a man. That tells you that God is a God that looks for a reason not to save somebody. And that's not who God is. And those type of doctrines is just simply not right. It's not right. God has come to set us free from that type of mentality. We can have a mindset that we are valuable to God. Not just to God, we are valuable. Amen. Hallelujah. And I want, us, I want you to say this, and this is the way Paul says this. He doesn't say we all, all the time. He says, I am. You know, so many times when we say we are valuable, we think in our mind, yes, we are many of us, therefore we are valuable. No, no. You are valuable to God as a person. You've got the same value to God as what Jesus Christ has. Because you've got the same righteousness as what Jesus Christ has. You've got the same sanctification as what Jesus Christ has. You've got, you've got the same holiness, set-apartness, if I want to put it that way, as what Jesus Christ has. And Jesus has exactly the same as what God has, God the Father, for He inherited all of this, and we are co-heirs with Christ. Hallelujah! That's the good news. Verse 4, it says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, in other words, the not imputing of sins, which is given you by Jesus Christ. Listen, here Paul just talks about this thing again, that in everything you are enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge. The grace of God was in such a great way towards them that there was nothing that could be added to them in words or in knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, in other words, there was a manifestation of this in their lives, so that you come behind in no gift, in other words, they've reached a state of perfection, um, that the only thing that they needed was, they were waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, this is what I want to talk about today. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no division among you. That word division, let's just see there what it says here. Um, yeah, it's just division. That there be no uh, splits among you. There be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now listen, if that was impossible, why would God um, inspire Paul's writing by saying that this is what God wants and it is by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? By the name of the anointed Savior. That you all speak the same thing. In other words, it's possible for all to speak the same thing. And that there be no division among you. In other words, it's possible that there can be no division amongst people, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment or conclusion. So, uh, what Paul is writing here, he says, listen man, you can be 
perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You know what has happened in church, and this is what I've seen, is that there's been so many opinions about the gospel because of one simple reason, and that is we don't have the same um, viewpoint or the same platform from where we interpret stuff. That's why we'll say, oh well, that's the brother's view, let's honor his view, and let's honor this guy, let's honor that guy. Rubbish. That is not God's plan. God's plan is not to have 20 million doctrines. Because that, all those type of doctrines, all those type of arguing and all those things, all that, that brings forth is just fighting and a low view in, uh, of other people's got a wrong view of the church and think that it's not powerful. And the thing, and let me tell you, and this is the reason why I believe there's so many views and so many opinions. It's just one reason. It's called the leaven of the Pharisees or the mixing of the law with the gospel of grace. And that's where different types of doctrine come from. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where doctrine comes in, different doctrines, different views, is when we mix the law. In other words, if I say, well, I'm of this mind, that if one died, then all are dead. That's what he says, and, and we're going to see that now in Second Corinthians. Let's go there quickly and um, just lay the foundation for this. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge, that if one died, then all were dead. So he says, this is his judgment. That if one, this is the conclusion. He's got a certain mindset. This mindset is that Jesus Christ died for us. That's his understanding. And the conclusion is, if one died, then all are dead. In other words, here he comes and he says, Listen, I want not any division to be amongst you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What was the judgment of Paul? If one died, then all are dead. And what was the mind that we've, we had to have? The mind that we had to have is knowledge. That, that's what that word mind uh, uh, also implies, is knowledge, to have the right knowledge. In other words, what knowledge should we have? We should have this knowledge, that one died for all. That's the knowledge. What's the conclusion? If one died for all, then it means that all are dead. And we can put it another way. We can have this knowledge, that one obeyed for all. What does that mean? That means it makes all obedient. And the Bible says that that has come to everyone. Obedience has come to everyone. Full obedience has come to everybody already. But it is upon all that believe. Amen. So it's towards everybody, but upon everybody that believes. That is it. That's the, the, that's the mind and the judgment. Now let's read this again. I don't want to go through this too quickly. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name, the character, the being of Jesus Christ, the anointed Savior, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no division or splits among you. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind. In other words, having the same knowledge. And in the same judgment conclusion. For it has been declared uh, unto me, of you my brethren, 
by them which are of the house of Cleo, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, uh, that one of you saith, I am of Paul, the others I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now listen to the, the, the foundation of knowledge to come to a conclusion that Paul speaks of here. He says, Now this I say, um, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Now you look at, at, at what he talks about here. He talks about Jesus Christ represented all. He's not divided. He wasn't for this guy and for that guy and for that guy. He was for all. Amen. And he was not divided. And he was crucified for you. Look at the, the knowledge that he has. Now, when he says, let's all speak the same thing. Let's keep to this. Jesus Christ was crucified for us all. Jesus Christ is not divided. In other words, it doesn't mean he was just for this group or just for that group. He was for all. Amen. He obeyed for all. He represents us all. He died for us all. He was, re- he was resurrected for us all. Amen. And the conclusion of that is that righteousness came to the whole world, that the sin of the whole world has been washed away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. And whosoever believes that has got access into that, according to the writings of Paul. And that is it. That's the full gospel. You see, if we had, a, if, if the gospel was a very complicated intrigue message that we've got to just go into such depths and difficult understandings of the gospel it would have been impossible to say that all speak the same thing and that there's no division among you and that you are perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same conclusion you can be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same conclusion same judgment, that's it that's what he says. He says, the one doesn't have to say, well, I'm following this guy. And I've, don't say, well, I'm a Bertie Brits fan. I'm a this guy's fan. I haven't been crucified for you. You see, the moment we start to, and this is where this thing comes in, and please listen to me, and in Web Church I will be, uh, um, you know, I'll be quite frank and open because this is my church. This is, this is the place where I believe the people that God has added here, I've got an, uh, uh, a responsibility towards to see that they have walk in the mind of Christ and that they are, they are protected against anything that can harm them. So I want to say it this way. If there's a teaching that says, you know, uh, you, if you submit to a certain man of God, then you're going to get his anointing. All of a sudden there's trouble now. If there's a teaching that says the anointing rests on certain people that God has chosen on the planet today, like, uh, say a John or a Pete or a Kuz in different countries. And this guy's got this anointing now. That guy's got that anointing. And if you go and sit under the mantle of that man, then his mantle's now going to fall on you and you're also going to get a little bit of that. You know what's going to happen? We're not all going to say the same thing anymore. Because the doctrine does not promote that everybody can say the same thing because it's, it is outside of Christ. 
Because Christ's doctrine says that one died for all. That means that all are dead. And it, we, can, we can explain it this way. If one obeyed for all, it means all are obedient. That's the love of Christ. Amen. If one was resurrected, he was resurrected for all. That's the gospel. If one was anointed, then anointing came for all. That is saying the same thing, having the same conclusion about every... That's it. Now, if we come with different types of doctrines, we're gonna, if we've got a law mentality and mix it into the cross, we're not all going to say the same thing. And we're going to start to run all after man. Now, I spoke to Francois Latoy, it's a, it's a man, and, and we just had this wonderful discussion. And what he said was, um, years ago, somebody came in and got saved, and he, got the, he had the guy there, it was, I think, last Sunday, or the Sunday before in the meeting, that we, we had, and it was this past, last Sunday. And um, this guy said he got saved, the lady, a girl of 14 years of age, preached in the tent. I mean, she was 14 years old, she preached in the tent. This guy came and he gave his life to Jesus. Now, I'm sure it wasn't the most dynamic teaching that could come from a, 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 you know, a mature person or somebody that is an adult. It was just a child's way of understanding grace and she was preaching it. And he said the reason why he would get anybody to preach was that people can know it's about the Word. We are followers of the Word of God. We're not followers of man. Hallelujah. Don't listen to web church because of Bertie. Listen to this because of the gospel. The true message of God's grace. Because we have got this one mind, we speak the same thing. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why I want to just start this. And, and, and I know in God's time the thing will just happen. We will start our own television station where everybody on that station says the same thing. It's possible. It's possible. And, and the, the, the greatest thing to get it possible is that if we don't worry about money, that we have to allow everybody on because we need their money to pay our airtime. But if, you know, by the grace of God, God has already met the need there. We don't have to twist arms, beg money from everybody to get it. And people can be on there. We can pick and choose people that say the same thing and get on that station. So don't think that, man, you just this weirdo because you believe grace. No, no, you're not weird. You're believing the same thing as what Paul said, and we're saying the same thing. When it comes to finances, when it comes to any other area of life, we're going to say the same thing. What is the same thing? We've got this mind in us, that if one obeyed, then all are obedient. We've got this mind in us. If one died, then all are dead. So let's take that mind, put it in finances. If one obeyed in every area for us, that means that we are qualified to be blessed. What is the conclusion? We are prosperous in Christ Jesus, free from the works of the law. Amen. I mean, because scriptures like that, I mean, I just felt so upset when I read this years ago, because I said, man, I can't agree with everything everything this guy preaches and teaches. I can't agree with everything. But the thing is, if we start to make our teaching and our preaching complicated, there will be areas where we will disagree. But if we keep to the same simple thing, we will always agree in everything. Perfectly. Amen. 
For it had been declared unto me, like I said, like I read here, there's divisions among you. It says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see here, you know, man, that's awesome. Let's go to verse 17. For Christ has not sent me to baptize, but, I, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, wisdom of words, people, when we talk about wisdom, we need to have this thing in our mind for sure. What's the definition of wisdom? And yesterday I just checked it out in the Webster's and I remember years ago when I, was, um, when I got this message, when I just got this message, I said, Lord, what is wisdom? And, and the Lord just dropped this in my heart um, and came to my mind that wisdom is the correct action upon truth. Um, that's, if you get truth and you act correctly upon that truth, that's wisdom. And I went to the Webster's today for the first time and checked out the, the word wis- wisdom and it means the correct action upon truth. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man must be God. How can, we, how can me and, that, and Webster's think exactly the same words? I'm sure it's, it's in spite of God. So, wisdom is the correct action upon truth. Now, listen to this. You get different types of wisdom. You get the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom, and this is what Paul says, Paul, you know, we are wise in Christ Jesus because Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God unto us. So there's wisdom for the church, but you get God's wisdom and you get the world's wisdom. What is the world's wisdom? The world's wisdom is the correct action upon the truth of the world. And what is the truth of the world? The, the world that way, the, there was two types of people. There were those, the, the Jewish people and then the others, um, the, the Greeks, they were seeking for wisdom. They were th- seeking for wise things to do to have a good life in this world. Good works for good blessings. In which the Jewish people were already established. They knew that they already had wisdom, worldly wisdom. Live right. Do, do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's world's wisdom. So now, we, Paul said here that he did not come to preach the gospel with the wisdom of the worlds. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, the context that he talks about here is unity in the church. Unity amongst believers. The unity amongst believers is the message of the cross simply preached or preached in simplicity. That's the place for unity. But the moment we start to mix the wisdom of the world, the do good, get good, do bad, get bad message, with the gospel, we will find division. And we will find that there's no effect of the cross in the lives of people. So many times people say, but Jesus Christ died to me, why don't I see any effect? Maybe you are walking in worldly wisdom, mixing laws and and do's and don'ts with the message of grace. Verse 18, perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Hallelujah. Now that's very, very powerful for, for us. You know, to those that are perishing, to those that say, well, you know, um, this, this grace message, this gospel of grace, how can we just be saved by such a simple message? That's just foolishness. It just shows that they are busy perishing. I don't say they're going to hell. I'm just saying they are perishing in certain areas. 
they are struggling. You know, if you say, when it comes to, 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 to finances, and you say, no, it's not by God's grace. It's by your sowing, tithing, and reaping. You're busy perishing. That's all. Because this grace message in finance is foolishness to you. It simply means you're perishing. We should stick to the same thing. We should stick to the simplicity of the gospel. This is what Paul said. I have not come to preach the gospel with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, he subtracts law from the gospel, because the moment you don't mix the gospel with law, you'll find power in the gospel. So the anti-power in the gospel is the law. What makes the gospel message powerless is mixing it with signs, wonder, uh, mixing it um, with, with, uh, with a law which will take away signs, wonders and miracles. A message that says, if you've got signs, wonders and miracles, it means you are now really in the will of God. That's a law message. Because it places the emphasis on your works. It, it, your, your righteousness is determined by actions. Let me give you the correct way of saying an if, an if then, uh, 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 if you want to call it a law. If Jesus would have obeyed perfectly and carried all your sins and was resurrected into eternal life, then you'll be the righteousness of God. If you want to have an if-then law, that's the law. Amen. And Jesus obeyed that law. He was obedient to the Father perfectly. And out of that we will find a manifestation of power. But the foundation of our righteousness is not the manifestation of signs, wonders and miracles. It is the manifestation of Christ in this world which physically happened 2,000 years ago. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, we don't need... uh, 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 Let me put it this way. For you to be healed, you might need a miracle. But for you to be righteous before God, you don't need a miracle. You need the manifestation of Jesus. You needed God to be incarnated into human flesh. You needed Him to obey on your behalf, die on your behalf. Then you needed that man, Jesus Christ, to be the firstborn amongst the dead. In other words, to be raised from the dead so that you forever can be righteous. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. Amen. And mix it with the law and it loses its power. Because all of a sudden, the law will put an if-then there that makes the whole gospel hang upon your obedience. And then it is powerless because you will find sin in your life. Verse 19, For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now let me tell you something. The more you are in the gospel of grace, the more law understanding means nothing. It means nothing. It is seen as foolishness. It's seen as foolishness. And sorry if I hammer this, but it's a very practical example. And I want to use this over and over and over because every time I see it on television, man, it just frustrates me. When I see uh, uh, how people are abused, to, uh, ju- just abused, man, just, just beaten up, abused with the law, um, to prosper ministries. 
And I'm not against the prosperity of a ministry. And I do believe that there are many ministries out there that's, that's law-based, death-based, but there's grace people also broadcasting there and does bring, it's, it's got some merit. But I, I can't take it to see that people must give their bread money so that somebody else can live. Buying two and a half thousand dollar suits. Driving the biggest Mercedes Benzes off the bread money of others, promising them that if they do this good thing, then God's now going to prosper them. They are lying. That type of wisdom, the wisdom that says, if you do this for God, then God's going to bless you, becomes foolishness. Absolute foolishness to somebody who understands the unconditional love of God on the cross. It's just foolishness. Because it's a manifestation of what God has done with that message. He says, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I want to just say this to you. When the cross comes, and you are still in a law mentality of thinking, you will find that this message, you will feel as if it's destroying you. As if it destroys all your understanding and everything you've known. You can feel if you are a minister of a gospel that is law-based, it can find, but this message of grace can destroy my ministry. Because that's what it will do. It will destroy your understanding. It will destroy the platform from where you speak. But it will give you a wonderful platform. And will give you wonderful fruit and peace and righteousness in your life. Amen. But we can be of one mind. We can be of one conclusion. Thank you, Jesus. And will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for making the correct action upon laws foolishness. Well, if you just do this right, do this right, do this right, then God's going to save you. Well, that's the most foolish thing you could come up with. Because the wisest thing you could ever become part of is to simply believe that Jesus did it all for you. That's wisdom. That's God's wisdom. Hallelujah. For if you read on, it says here that Jesus Christ was made the wisdom of God for us. Verse 30 says, But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of uh, of God is made unto us the wisdom and the righteousness and the sanctification and the redemption. Hallelujah. He was made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. That according... As it is written, He that glory led him glory in the Lord. (laughs) This is the good news, man. Now, let let me tell you, the gospel is a rock of offense. You must know that. And um, if you, and let me tell you this, I I was also last night studying Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, don't go and argue don't be part of discussions that you know cannot bear fruit. You can see beforehand if somebody is not going to listen and just, it's just going to be a fight. It says for, because it doesn't edify and it just breaks down all those that listen. So don't get into a fight with somebody about this. This is not a fighting matter. In Afrikaans it was said so beautifully. It says, 
moet niet oor Godse goed betlein nie, man. Ons betlein nie oor Godse goed nie. Want fight about God stuff. We're not going to fight about God stuff. We're not going to be in arguments that we know cannot produce any fruit. Now, I will go and I will share the gospel with people, but if I know, man, this has got potential to bear fruit in this brother's life, then I will share it. With a church leader, with whosoever, it can bear fruit. Hallelujah. Then we share this gospel. But, church, I want to encourage you, don't go out there fighting with people about the gospel of grace. Share it in love and that's it. Amen. Believe it for yourself and let us, as grace believers or gospel believers, as Christians, just have the same mind and the same conclusion. Amen. And that is what we walk with and that is what we stand in. And I want you not to feel shaken in this gospel. You know, so many times when we see, you know, well, this guy believes this, that guy believes that, that guy believes that, and then you think, well, he's a, 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 a Brother Yoon fan, and he's a Benny Hinn fan, and he's a Creflo Dollar fan, he's a Bertie fan. Forget that. Forget that. There's one in which we stand, and that's Jesus Christ. And the foundation of our standing is Him and what He did for us. That's the gospel. You know, the more you talk about, listen to this, the more you talk about how much you must love God, the less you are used of God. For the gospel is not about how much you must love God. So, if you talk about how much you must love God, you are not used of God. Because God... What He wants to portray and what He wants to communicate is how much God loves you. So if you're somebody that goes around always testifying about how much God loves you, how God blessed you free from your works, you are mightily used of God. And you are in the ministry of God. But if you are busy with telling all the time what you must do for God, you're not used of God, you've got your own ministry. You're not in God's. Now that might sound harsh and straightforward and and, and stepping on some toes, but please, man, just listen to this and let this just bring the focus more into the seriousness of, uh, of, of what God did in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will destroy this whole thing, this correct action upon worldly truths. I'll destroy it, God says. And I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The conclusion they come to. In other words, you will have the wisdom of the wise. That means the knowledge of the wise also correct action upon what they know and the understanding, the conclusion, the judgment that they come to. You know, we, we can come to this judgment. Well, if this guy did this wrong, then it means Satan has opened open a door for Satan. Now Satan is in his life and he must now break the forefather curse so that he can be blessed. Now, Jesus Christ's true gospel, the true message of grace, brings that to nothing. That's it. 
It says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For after that in the wisdom of God, in God's wisdom, okay, in His correct action upon truth, the world by wisdom, by their action upon what they think wisdom is, which is obedience to laws, knew not God. So the more you know rules, regulations, all those type of things, in order to be pleasing to God, the less you know God. That's what it says. Let's read it again. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now, that's the foolishness according to the worldly standards now. To save them that believe. For the Jew require a sign, the Greek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. So what is this, what is this truth of the gospel? What's true truth? What is it? It is preaching the cross. The resurrection, the obedience of Jesus. Hallelujah. That is true wisdom. And God chose by preaching that simple message and people believing that, that they will be made the righteousness of God, the wisdom of God, the sanctification of God, the redemption of God, the salvation of God. Thank you, Jesus. And what we're going to do here, and I want to just say this to you, if you ever slot into web church to hear a different message than what I'm preaching right now, you're going to be disappointed. Because the vision that I have, the stuff that I put around me, is to keep on preaching this without deviating in the slightest point or comma without that. I want to just preach this for the next at least 50, 60 years without changing one word. I want to just repeat this, preach this over and over and not change. Hallelujah. Because I want, as Paul says, this is what I want to say, and I've only got 10 minutes left now. Let's just, I want to tell you why I am so radical about this. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Listen to this. Yes, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Now, it's talking about the, um, the law. For the excellency, now that word excellency also means the exaltation, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may gain Christ and His anointing. So what he's saying here is he says, listen, and people, this is the process in which we experience the fullness of God. We count the wisdom of this world dung. That's what you do. This is what Paul says. It's not, well, you know, there's also some truth in that and we must see how we can read between the lines type of nonsense. No, 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 no. We not we count it done. That's what we do. Amen. That's what Paul did. He's, and why did he do this? And this is the whole thing. Why did he count this done? So that he may gain Christ. Amen. He wants the exaltation that comes through the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of the law robs you of the knowledge of Christ. And when you count the 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 the, the, the 
righteousness by works done, then you gain more knowledge of Christ. Amen. Listen to this. He says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, why that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, not faith in Christ, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. If by any means, and this is, this is what I want to say, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now you know what Paul was saying actually here. He was saying, when Jesus returns and I've died, I want to be resurrected from the dead. I don't want to go to hell. That's what he was saying. I want to be part of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of the dead. I want to be part of that resurrection of the dead. Go and read in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He says there that Christ will return, the dead will be raised first, and then we will be changed. That's the whole resurrection scenario. He says, I want to be part of that. And how will I be part of that? By not having any of my own righteousness. For he saw that works righteousness is very deadly. It can kill you, man. It implies, now now you might differ from me here, but it implies that if he's under work right, works righteousness, he might not be part of the resurrection of the dead. Let's read it again. And be found in him. In other words, what is he saying? All I want to know is Christ and what he's done. Christ and what is done. Not bad in what He must do to be righteous before God. Christ and what He's done so that I could be made the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification, all those things. Okay? That's what He says. Then He says, And be found in Him not having my own righteousness which is of the law. So you can have righteousness and can be your own. But your own is not good enough. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I have already attained, either were ready perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So he said, listen man, I must have this righteousness of God. I must have this goodness of God. I must have uh, uh, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians. Just got five minutes left. First Corinthians chapter one. Let's read from verse twenty seven. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Let's let's read verse verse twenty five. Um, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For we see for you see your calling, brethren, how not many Wise men of the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of this world, and things which are despised, has God chosen, yes, and things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh 
should glory in His presence. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he, ha- he that glory, that in glory in the Lord. <laughs> that is the good news. If you understand a little bit of King James English, man, this is awesome. He said, I don't want any man standing in front of me saying, God, I have qualified now. Let me put it into tithing now. I have qualified by my tithe and my sowing. You must bless me. That irritates God. That frustrates Him. God hates that. What He wants is you coming before Him saying, God, I just want to say this. I'm righteous to be blessed and to be healed with your righteousness. For my wisdom to be blessed was foolishness, made foolishness by your wisdom, which says, by what you've done, I am made blessed, righteous, sanctified and holy. I give you all the glory, God. You've made me qualified and set me up to be blessed free from my works. I give you the glory. And I bless you by being willing to receive this. Man, that's the gospel of grace. Amen. We've run out of time. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as what I did. Maybe so bad today you've been too radical. Well, that's the way it is. Amen. We accept that. Thank you, Jesus, for your unconditional love. Thank you that you love every person that's watching me right now. I speak salvation and healing towards you in this message. I say you are saved. God brought you salvation. If you believed in Jesus, salvation has come upon you. It is yours you've never believed in Jesus, right now is your time to say, thank you for the faith that arises in my heart. It is, it is mine. I declare that Jesus died for me, obeyed for me. And when you say that prayer, you are saved with a faith in your heart. Thank you, Father, for your great love. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Now, what I would like you to do is go and download this message when it's in the archive and or forward the link towards somebody. They need to hear this. Amen. This is the true gospel of grace. Now we're going to go over to our exit song. Enjoy this. Thank you for watching. Write us an email if you like to. We always love to hear from you guys. God bless you.